We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Fantasy Football Overall Rankings, the way too early edition of this. Uh, if you are out there watching, uh, there's a couple giveaways that you can get into. You can get into the $100 giveaway one of two ways. You can subscribe to Mayo Media Network on YouTube. We're going to have full press football coverage 24-7, 365, not every day actually, but we're not taking an off-season away from football. Then, as you know, during football season, every single day during football. So if you subscribe to Mayo Media Network now, you're in the draw to win a $100 giveaway. Or you can get into it again or an alternate way by subscribing to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, something you enjoy about this show. Leave your Twitter handle or email address so I know it's you. And you'll be in that trial. We're announcing the winners on Monday's Pat Mayo Experience. So tune in to that show. Joining me from TheAthletic.com, he just released his paywalled 2021 fantasy football <laughs> rankings. It is Jake Seeley at All In Kid. Did you find it was hard to do? Honestly, it wasn't hard until I got to the 40s and the running backs and the wide receivers because now... Once you get down there, you're already in split backfields and shared, you know, this is the number two, number three job for the wide receivers. And then you're trying to project and think, all right, who's the free agents? Are they going to come back? If they don't come back, what the rookies are going to do? And I didn't include rookies yet, obviously. But at the top, I didn't have a lot of trouble. The, the interesting thing, I don't know if you did too, is found this out as well, Pat, is running back. Like we always talk about wide receiver being that giant tier in the 20s, like tons of guys you could make the case for being wide receiver 20 all the way down to 35-ish. I found that with running back nine through 19, at least in my ranks, I was like, if you want to put 19 at nine, which was Antonio Gibson for me, not number 19. And if you want to flip that entire list, I'm okay with it. I, I haven't seen a tier that big at running back in a long time. Well, what I want to do is construct these rankings with you. Again, these are way too early. And then you have someone like Aaron Jones who may or may not be on the Packers next year. So you have to take that in consideration too. These will get updated. You don't need to use this as a steadfast cheat sheet for when drafts roll around in September. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But it's fun to talk about to see where the people are actually going at the moment. Or if you were doing a draft today, how would you actually rate these guys? And then more information will come out. They'll add another running back. They'll drop. They'll draft a rookie. Those guys will go up. We all know how this 
ends up playing out. Like even someone like Michael Thomas, how severely affected are he and Alvin Kamara if Drew Brees ends up retiring Taysom Hill is the starter we don't know who is the starter how do you approach those guys so that's going to be all factored into this what I want to know after you smash the like button in the comment section who is your number two overall fantasy running back assuming Christian McCaffrey is not your number one so I guess if you have a different number one than Christian McCaffrey that is the name that you can leave down there if you'd like remember to sub to the channel by the way if not who is your number two this year but before we get into any of that Jake I want to go back and look at this year's ADP of how people were on average draft position drafting going into the year. So here's the top 10 for the season. Christian McCaffrey, number one, Saquon, Ezekiel Elliott, Delvin Cook, Derrick Henry. Those were your top five. Alvin Kamara, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Josh Jacobs, Michael Thomas, Joe Mixon uh, was the back end of the top 10. Uh, no, only Michael Thomas in the top of the receivers. Then it goes Chubb, Jones, Miles Sanders, Patrick Mahomes, Devontae Adams. Should have drafted Devontae Adams higher than that. Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, <laughs> Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, Julio Jones. That's the overall top 20. Uh, bad year. Like If you got your first and second round picks right, you probably won your championship. Yeah, as you're reading off those names, I was thinking about it. And outside of maybe Zeke, but you can, again, his is injury. What I'm gonna say is, outside of injuries, nobody in that range really killed you. Like we're like we're not at least close to their draft capital. The only one like Zeke, but you know he lost Dak and through Dak's first five games, he was a top five running back and he was putting up 15 plus every single game. Eckler got hurt. Thomas got hurt, missed time. I mean, you can go down the list. Joe Mixon at the end of the season, Joe Mixon was going fine. Uh, I think that outside of injuries, it wasn't that bad. It's just there was a lot of injuries in the first two rounds this year or related injuries. Yeah, there was something that impacted. But obviously, if you drafted Christian McCaffrey, you weren't super satisfied with the output that he had. Although he averaged (laughs) almost 30 fantasy points per game in the three games that he actually ended up playing because he's Christian McCaffrey. So health is a huge factor, especially with no OTAs and no preseason. It seemed to be more pronounced near the top this year, especially the guys that touched the ball a lot. Like if you had just taken Derrick Henry and then Devontae Adams and or Travis Kelsey in the second round, I'm guessing you won, right? You're probably in a really good spot if you did that. The Adams pick alone would have really helped because you probably ended up with basically not even Henry, just healthy running back. It could have been Camara. It could have been Dalvin Cook. He was further up, but even Aaron Jones was fine. And you know, I don't love Aaron Jones mostly because of just the volatility game to game. And outside of that 40 point game, he, I don't think he hit 20, but maybe two or three more times. But even if you had Aaron Jones, if basically you paired him up with Devontae Adams or Kelsey and avoided Michael Thomas or avoided Kenny Galladay. I know he was later in the second round, but if you avoided a landmine there, yeah, there's there's no doubt that you were at least in the chase, if not in the title game. The only two legit busts from the top 10, I would say, were Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Josh Jacobs. Uh, I wasn't taking Jacobs that high, but I was most certainly taking Edwards-Alaire that high. Miles Sanders is another one uh, at number 13. He missed some time, but he just wasn't very good overall, even when he played that. I I actually had a team with a combination of Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Miles Sanders as my first two picks. Uh, Fortunately, I was able to pick up James Robinson to help mitigate it a little bit, but let's just say that one didn't bring me home the money. (laughs) <laughs> no, the funny thing was, too, is and if anybody has been with us and I say us as in you and me doing your videos for a while it is they know what happened is I went from being the high guy on Edwards Alaire to I had zero shares of them because by the time I was drafting in a lot of my leagues, it was at the end of August and I wasn't paying that mid first round price for him. So I had zero shares of Edwards Alaire this past season. So I made out. But I will say 
when you said bust, he yes, and the end of the season, he was a bust overall. But until they traded for Le'Veon Bell, he was a fringe RB one. He was producing that eleventh, twelfth best fantasy production for running backs. It wasn't top five, six running back like some people thought might happen because of the Brian Westbrook talk and there was no competition with no Damian Williams, but it wasn't that bad until they traded for Le'Veon Bell or picked up Le'Veon. It was a trader. I, I got the medicine in my head. I don't remember if it was a trader. They just picked him up. They, they, they signed him after he was cut by they the He was released. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So do either you think, way, once do, Le'Veon Bell. Do you think that there's a lesson to be learned about that sort of hype train around a rookie? Because we've seen it work out before, but he was going right. on average the seventh overall pick and it felt like you had to take him there because everyone wanted him somewhere. And like you said, when he was going in the late second round, very early when draft started, good price like that. That's fine. And you can afford to have that guy not come through for you. But once he starts going over proven commodities, especially proven tight ends, proven wide receivers, whether it be a Devonte Adams, hell, he, he was going ahead of Michael Thomas who had a bad year, but he got hurt for most <laughs> of the year. And then Kelsey, who, I feel like it's funny because you and I always have this conversation in the preseason and I always ask like, why isn't Travis Kelsey a top five player? Because the positional value that he presents, and I mean, injuries can always screw this up like we saw with George Kittle this year, but Kelsey has been the number one wide receiver for like five or number one tight end for like five straight years. He would be on average wide receiver number four, I think it is, if you just made him a wide receiver. Like that value alone at that position, which is a complete crapshoot, does add extra value. Like piling up on Travis Kelsey for the past few years very, very early and then have people snicker at you in draft rooms turns out to be a really good <laughs> idea. And I'm wagering that when people release their rankings for this year, Kelsey's going to be like five or six. And that's, and yeah, we have that same conversation and that's too high for me. I don't mind taking him at the turn in the second round. My issue is if you get 2018 and 2020 Kelsey, it's perfectly fine. It's the same as drafting Patrick Mahomes in like the third if he's the guy that has been this guy, sure. But 2019 was a great season. It was an amazing season. However, 0.1 fewer points per game for Kittle. And if you took him in the first round, it's the lost return on value for your draft capital. And it's also what you give up by passing on a running back or a wide receiver. So I'm never going to fault somebody. If you want to take Kelsey fifth, if you want to take him third because you only like two running backs and then you want to take him or like Adams, maybe so he's fourth. If you want to take him there. I'm not going to fault you for it. You just, what it comes down to, and this is what I just try to make clear. It comes down to, he has to do what he just did. If it's anything less and he still plays 16 games, but it's 2019, 16 games, it's going to hurt a little bit. I and mean, you can still get through it and it might not be bad, but it's going to hurt a little bit. But to go back to Edwards Alaire too, because you said, is there anything to be learned before you went to the Kelsey part? I, I think that why I brought up that he was okay before Bell came in is because you look at Kareem Hunt as a rookie. And yes, there was an injury that opened things up, but once the injury opened things up, there was the same situation as Edwards Hilaire just for an injury versus the player sitting out in Damian Williams. So Nick Chubb's rookie season was pretty damn good. Saquon Barkley and Zeke Elliott were top five running backs as rookies. So they can hit in the right situation. I think what we learned from this is that if Edwards Hilaire never saw Le'Veon Bell, he probably would have finished as like RB 10 through 12, somewhere in there. The price still got too high. And that's where it is. It's just understanding similar to the stock market when you need to jump off the hype train because Najee Harris, if he ends up on the Steelers, I said, he's going to be an RB one, like that type of situation where he's the bell cow is what you need to look for. Edwards Alaire was never going to be a true bell cow. Maybe that's the trap we fell into with Edwards Alaire is he's not a Barkley. He's not a Zeke where it's going to be 20 touches every single game. 
I will push back a little on the Travis Kelsey example. Yes, this year was better than the other years, but even if you got 2018, 2017, 2019 performance of him, there is something to, if he doesn't get hurt, the consistency that you can pencil him in as tight end one or one B if Kittle ends up staying healthy the entire year. Those two guys, by and large, are so much higher up on the food chain at tight end than everyone else. And I know Waller really pressed it on late and ended up averaging 14 points per game, which was still three points less per game than Kelsey, which is just insane <laughs> to think about. But let's normalize everyone. Right. I don't think that Waller has that good of a season again. Let's say he drops down to like right. 12 points per game. Kelsey drops back to like 14 or 15 points per game and Kittle gets elevated once again up to 13 14 15 points per game just having having the lock in at that position and this is where I disagree with it with someone like Mahomes is that you can find the other quarterback who can rival those guys now you have the Patrick Mahomes outlier 50 touchdown season that's pretty difficult to replicate what Travis Kelsey just did is not to say that he's going to do it again, but him hitting 90% of what he just did is definitely uh, a likely outcome for what happens to him next season. And if we look at the quarterback position, it's like everyone who chased Lamar Jackson this year is that when we, I did a video last year where I participated in your guys's flex league draft and I, I missed out on a bunch of guys early. I got Kelsey where I wanted him. I think I went with Michael Thomas and Kelsey as my first two picks. So hit one missed on the other, but I ended up taking Kyler Murray. I reached on Kyler Murray in the fifth or sixth round thinking that there's not a particular reason why he can't outscore Lamar Jackson this year. If they unleash him to run a little bit, all of a sudden I have who you are taking in the second and third round in the fifth round. And even if you had just waited two more rounds and taken Josh Allen, you mind the exact same production at quarterback. I just feel like at quarterback, well, there are clear better and worse players at the position. There's enough guys who can challenge being the number one quarterback for the season where there's just not a tight end. We know who the players are at tight end. And there's something of value to understanding who those guys are and i 100 percent agree so let me clarify in case people are confused it's not so much kelsey on its own it's just if i'm drafting and i would have done it we did a way too early mock draft in the middle of december and i was going to take kittle with my second round pick it's it's more so i'm not taking kelsey because i can take kittle that's why so if you're in a spot where let's say you're drafting on the one two turn you're not going to get Kittle in the third round, obviously. So if you want to take Kelsey, go for it. Or even 10, 11, 12, that pick. But if you're at the fourth, fifth, sixth, that's where I'm going to say I'm still going running back. I'll get Kittle in the second round versus taking Kelsey there. That's really what it comes down to is I'm come more over to your side. I'm still not taking Kelsey because he's first round because I can get Kittle in the second. That's really what it comes down to for me now. Also, we can always employ the strategy. If you have, let's say you play in a, 12 team league i don't know if kelsey makes it to number 12 but let's say you have the eighth pick and you take kelsey and just follow it up with kittle again i'm not after watching what broke down and maybe this year was an outlier year that yes some of the running backs that you drafted at the very top of the board whether it be a kamara or derrick henry they came through for you but it was a really mixed bag from rounds two all the way down through seven where you could have mined a lot of value later in drafts by waiting, picking guys up at the running back position where I think unless you get one of like the quote unquote studs and they stay healthy, I don't know if I'm going to be super concerned if I don't 
get the second tier of running back. Now, there's obviously going to be gems in that mix, but I think there's going to be just as many busts as gems that I think just monopolizing the tight end position. And going back to saying, hey, Travis Kelsey, I mean, this year, what what would he have been? Um, let's see. He averaged in half-point PPR. Travis Kelsey averaged 17.4 points per game. Um, that would make him wide receiver three on a points per game basis. So let's say he can be a top five receiver at the receiver position, but you translate that over to tight end where there's more value. And then you get George Kittle, who could challenge Kelsey to be tight end one, and you end up with those two guys, one as a tight end, one as a flex. It might seem really stupid to do because you have two tight ends and you have no other positions. But if you consider them as a tight end where the value is more, and then as a wide receiver where maybe you would rank Kittle, I don't know, wide receiver eight, something like that. I think that's within his range of outcomes on a pretty flat level too. He could go higher than that. He can go lower than that. But I think that's a pretty general assessment of where he could end up. You box out so much of your league from scoring points at the tight end position that you could end up with like a seven to eight points per game points per matchup over the next closest person in your league from one position. And I think trying to get value that way is just a very sneaky way that you can go and draft. I'd rather go tight end, tight end than spend a third round pick ever on a quarterback. Yeah. And you know, that's the one where I'll still hundred percent push back against it because I understand what you're saying, but again, it comes down to not wanting to bottle up my tight ends or a second tight end to my flex because of what it does for you the rest of the year. Because now you have to start them. You have to. You're like, you yeah, but I, I'm not drafting. I'm not drafting anyone in the second round to not start them. No, 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 I know. But what I'm saying is like you, you can make up if the your second round player gets hurt. You know, you can find somebody like we were just talking about it, like all these opportunities here. But you give your option of it could be a second tight end that you're starting at flex at times. It could be a second wide receiver, fourth wide receiver, a third running. You give yourself outs for there. You're you're starting two tight ends every single week, and then if anything happens with Kittle, and not even just the injury, he got hurt this year, and it destroys you because of what you're giving up. I understand it, but again, it comes back to what I'm going to go with the, the Kelsey at fourth or fifth. You have to get 16 games from Kittle or you're destroying your team. So I understand how it works in theory. And I understand that if you get 16 games from both and you assume Kittle's even, maybe he's not 14 points per game, maybe he's 12 points per game. It's still a leg up. I just, to your quarterback argument, that 12 points per game leg up isn't the leg up of what it would have been for Kelsey. It's 12 to what you're going to find at tight ends. How many of them this year? Not a lot, but had 10 points per game 11 points per game that 10 to 11 range there's enough where that's that's not the big drop off let alone you might have a running back or wide receiver who's averaging more than they are that you ended up with because you got a draft day value like a Corey davis or something like that so again you could do whatever the hell you want i think the biggest argument here pat is what we take away from this is that it really helps you construct the team how you want to is you could just play damn auction and stop with snake drafts yeah, that's true but predominantly people play snake drafts so that's true. But I, I do want to bring up one more thing. You said about running backs. I actually think we're start, We're going to head into 2021, which the deepest running back has been in years. And I say not deep as in, you know, oh, there's this talent like wide receiver, like, oh, wide receiver so deep. But deep in, we've had a lot of clarity and backfields come to us. Is that Jonathan Taylor, backfield is going to be his. J.K. Dobbins, backfield is going to be his. Cam Akers, unless Sean McVay screws us over. It's now good. So now we have these three stepping up. We found James Robinson. We have, hopefully, a bounce back from Miles Sanders. And I'm just looking down my list. I mean, we're talking about Joe Mixon 
down the low teens, at least the mind. And now you're not even talking about where does Najee Harris and Travis Etienne end up, who could potentially be the lead guys. I think we're going to have 15 to 20 next year where we felt more comfortable than we have in years of those type of running backs. How, how do you pronounce Travis's last name? I always thought it was Etienne, like, you know, the French Steven. No, it's E-T, like E letter T letter N, like E-T-N. I mean, the guy's from Louisiana. I think it's French. I think that's just the the Americanization of people not saying. Well, I mean, we could we could find out afterwards. Like, uh, who's JJ Arthago Whiteside, who never corrected anybody, and then Marquez Valdez Scantling. Well, we'll find out. I'll I'll do the same thing I did when I looked up Tariq Cohen to find out if it was Tariq or Tariq, and just find his mom. His mom pronounced it on a YouTube show, and I, that, that's where I found it. So I'll look it up. But I'm pre- I'm almost positive everybody says ETN. I mean, I've watched the games; they call him ETN. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. But just being from Louisiana, where you know there's a per- a much higher French percentage in the United States than anywhere else. Etienne. You just love doing a French accent. Etienne, meaning Stephen, but in French, so Travis Stephen. That's that's what that's what I'm going with. Old old right, Stephen. So no, I just pulled it up. Travis Etienne pro, uh, pronunciation E Etienne. So not Etienne. 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 Yeah, is that what you were saying? Well, yeah, it's Travis Etienne. So is how you would E-H- say it all dash. <laughs> E-H dash T-E-E dash E-N. So E-T-N, not E-T-N. Yeah. So, so there you go. We found out. So there, so there we go. I, I don't see an accent grave or an accent aigu dans les noms, but uh, I'm just going to assume it's French because he's from Louisiana. And it's a French name. So, hey, you want to talk about that? I just pulled up a little. So all the coaches are calling him E-T-N. There's an article, greenvilleonline.com about Clemson. Three things you may not know about Travis Etienne. The coaches have called him Etienne. However, back in Louisiana, the predominant pronunciation is Achen. There we go. So they pronounce it the French way where he's from, but the rest of the country can't figure that out. Uh, Well, I think we just need to ask him. But if we had a combine, I don't get to go to the combine this year. I'm so upset. I would do that. That would be my question for him. Well, everybody's asking him questions about, like, what is he like about his position? I'm just going to be like, dude, what? how do you pronounce your last name? Seriously? Yeah, give me the the proper pronunciation. He's probably a good guy. So he'd be like, oh, just say it however you want, which I hate. No one should ever do that with their name. Tell people how you want your name to be pronounced. That's a tip one from Pat Mayo. I'm not going to be out here. I'm not going by Pat Mew. January 11, 2020. Jennings native and Clemson running back Travis Etienne gives a not so definitive answer on how to pronounce his name, says the correct way is E-T-N, but folks at home say Etchen. Yeah, the way it's so supposed he to, says the, the he way himself, the way it's supposed to be E-T-N. pronounced. <laughs> but he's embracing the ETN. He's embracing the American. So we're gonna call him ETN. So we can call him Etchen. So so it's, it's just gonna be like one of these things that every time I hear it, it's gonna be like nails on a chalkboard. Just like whenever I hear an American <laughs> say the word foyer, and it just drives me insane. Really? Yeah, it's foyer. foyer. It's foyer. That's that's what it fucking is. No, I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I've always said foyer, but I didn't know like it was that. Like I thought that was one of those words where you could pronounce it either way. No, it's not. It's just how people <laughs> okay. pronounce it because they don't know how to say it. It's it. it, it, it there's very few things. You never that got this riled up about my last name. You that I never got this riled up about your last name. Yeah. Your You're last never name? upset that people mispronounce my ne- last name all the time. Who pronounces your who mispronounces your last name? Everybody. What do they say? I get people adding uh, Kaili, Sicily, adding a second S or, or not even a so, first so, S. In so 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 for, so the so the people that can't read are the people that screw <laughs> up your name. Well, I got Kaili. I got Siley. 
I get Siley a lot. Siley at least makes sense based on the way that your name is spelled. It's not where my inclination would go. Anyway, we spent far too much time on pronunciation. <laughs> we did. <laughs> Let's get into the actual rankings for this season. Christian McCaffrey is number one, right? Like, I don't... I, I'll, me, yes. I'll, I'll hear arguments that he's not, um, and we'll talk about number two through ten here after this, but if I'm going into my draft right now and he's given a clear bill of health, which he should be because he almost played in week 17, that give me Christian McCaffrey. Like, who is better than him? No one is the answer. And I'm 100% with you. 26.9, 22.8, and 32.1 is three games. Scored six touchdowns, two in each. And I know people, well, you can't bank on those touchdowns. But yes, Chris McCaffrey is number one. If you want to argue, I think there's only one argument, in my opinion. If you want to argue for Dalvin Cook, I understand it. But even so, Dalvin Cook, almost five fewer points per game. Five. I'm still taking Chris McCaffrey. Yeah, so well, that's pretty easy to go with. So... This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know with me, as I've talked about before, the winter, the cold, the darkness, it just gets me down. Uh, I need to find ways to get around that and maybe talking it through is something that I need to go do. And BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. And this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely, thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone session so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more than affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. This one about Anthony Penn. After counseling with Anthony Penn for two weeks on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, relationship issues, family concerns, trauma, and abuse, grief, self-esteem, he does a great job listening and giving me counsel. That's one of the reviews from Anthony Penn at BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mayo. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Pat Mayo Experience listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Mayo. You say Delvin Cook is number two. I don't necessarily have a problem with that whatsoever. I think he fits the best skill set of what you would want out of a top three running back. He's going to get all the goal line work. He's going to get the majority of the carries, and he's going to receive out of the backfield. That's that's the troika of what you want from your top end fantasy running back. So who else fits that bill? Now, I'm going to throw Derrick Henry into this mix only because Mm -hmm. he gets enough volume anyway to mitigate anything that happens to him in the passing game. So he's in that mix too. So you have Cook, Elliott, Barkley, Henry, Kamara. Is Jonathan Taylor a part of that mix? No. And I wouldn't put Zeke in that mix. Zeke's in the next group for me. I think there's a big five. And I think you could argue that there's a two and then the next three have a gap because the next three all have questions. Derrick Henry has the question of you're going to get all the people 370 carries, 370 carries, and all this workload. Doesn't he get that every year? 
Well, no, I know, but people talk about this. This is the whole Zeke argument. As you get to the point where, like, all that work is going to kill him. It's just going to pile up and it's going to really take. The guy's a freaking nature. Like, he's 6'4", 300 pounds. Not, not exaggerating, but he's a different specimen. The, the biggest concern I had about him coming out of college was that you get him in the backfield before he gets going, and that's the only way you can stop him, which you've seen some teams limit him that way. But that's, I mean, now we're, like, nitpicking somebody who should be in this conversation. Kamara? I do think deserves to be here. The concern you have, obviously, if Winston is the quarterback, it's a stark drop off from the percentage of passes that go from Drew Brees to the running back position to Jameis Winston, who's about 17%. Drew Brees is about 24, 25%. So that's a big difference right there. Even Taysom Hill, we saw in those first two games, didn't pass as much. He got him in that fourth game or the third or fourth game. But either way, that's your concern with Kamara. And then the Barkley concern, obviously, is the health, you know, coming off a torn ACL and now two injuries in a row. Although, for nobody pushing back on Dalvin Cook, and I'm not saying you, I, I see nobody pushing back on Dalvin Cook being number two. The guy hasn't played 16 games yet. Four seasons, hasn't played 16 games. No, but if you get 14 out of him at this spot, you can fill in the other two weeks. He is production. No, no, no I was making pro- that for the Barkley argument. I it's Sure. I, Elliot's a really interesting one, because let's say Dak comes back and Dak is fine. Like, why isn't Elliot a top five guy? Because so I bring that up all the time, and I keep saying that's why I have Zeke at six in my personal rankings, is that he was top five before Dak got hurt. I think it's just another year. It's, you know, the concern that he didn't look great at times, although there was talk about that he wasn't 100%. And that week he took off when he came back that very next week was one of his only two games he rushed for 100 yards. So I am in on Zeke. I just think Zeke doesn't deserve at this point to be with Henry and Kamara. I just think that for me... Zeke falls into uh, James Robinson. You brought up Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, the Dobbins and Swift, the situations. Although I'm not, everybody's talking about Swift and all excited about what Dan Campbell was saying, but ignoring the fact that there's going to be no Matthew Stafford, probably no Kenny Galladay, maybe even no Marvin Jones. The team might be going 0-16 and be one of the worst offenses we've seen. And that's a possibility. I I get where just as a and. When we talked about the guys at the very top, like one of the best ways that you can scout and really deliver upside to your teams in the third, fourth, fifth, end of the second round is who do you project to be a top five running back next year? That was a lot of the buzz around Miles Sanders coming into this season was, hey, towards the end of the season, he got all of the carries. He was being used out of the backfield and he got all the goal line touches. If that happens over 16 games, he's going to be a top five running back. Let's take him right now. Kenyon Drake fell into that as well, based on the usage that he was getting. We didn't know that Kyler was just going to basically become Josh Allen and steal every touchdown near the goal line. (laughs) And Drake, by the end of the year, was actually a very good fantasy commodity. He had just submarined your team for the first nine weeks of the season. That didn't really matter at that point. So when I look at it, I think that Swift does fit that mold of everything that you'd want. But I do agree with you. It's a circumstance where him getting there is going to be really tough. And, and that's my biggest issue. Look, and I'm only talking about, and I'm not talking, Swift is in my top 20. It's solidly inside my top 20. I don't want to give it all away for everybody, but if you go and look, my full rankings are there and you can yell at me in the comments. Like the person yelled at me about DeAndre Swift, but the person who yelled at me was saying he should be inside the top 10. I'm like, you're going to put him in front of Nick Chubb potentially, or who else would he, in front of Austin Eckler or some other names like that. Like I understand it. And I'm a Swift guy. You know, this, we did the draft profile. I said, my Tier one back before the NFL draft, tier one had three names DeAndre Swift, uh, Jonathan Taylor, and J.K. Dobbins. And then tier one B was Cam Akers and Clyde Edwards Alaire. I love Swift. 
but it's it's kind of it's a different version of the same argument. I love Aaron Jones the player. I hate Aaron Jones the Packer. I love DeAndre Swift the player. I don't know that I'm gonna love DeAndre Swift the Lion next year just because of what this team could look like. I think that Jonathan Taylor deserves to be in this discussion with the top running backs, with Zeke, with with the Bar- top five, with Barkley, with Kamara. I think there's just enough question marks around these guys. So with Zeke. Was he is he actually bad? Is it going to work out with him? Like there are question marks around with him. I'm less concerned about those than I think that a lot of people are. Barkley, just where is he at? I, I'm good with him again, but you know, two straight years that he just absolutely sewered your team is probably going to bump him down the rankings. I you, know, you could make him number two if you wanted to once again, and that could be a fantastic pick if he stays healthy. Derrick Henry seems like he's the safest of these guys, which is kind of crazy to think yeah. and how that's all shifted with Derrick Henry. Elvin Kamara, you mentioned it. Without Drew Brees, how many receptions is he going to end up with? Not that that's the end-all be-all, but that's such a significant portion of his value that if it went from 86 catches down to 51 catches, I mean, that's a lot. And that also hurts his overall upside in terms of touchdown equity as well. I look at Jonathan Taylor and the way that he was utilized in the second half of the season. Basically, all the goal line work was him. Uh, he scored seven touchdowns on the ground over the past four games. He was getting up around 20, 16, 18, 30, 22, 13, plus seeing on average like three, three and a half targets per game that if you can pencil a guy in with all that goal line work, he's doing all the things that we want him to do. The big question around him is who's going to play quarterback? for the Colts and will this usage towards the end of the year continue into next season right. but if it does like I, I think you could sell him as a top five guy if you wanted to so you would have if I'm listening to the names that you have correctly I you would say you would have Christian McCaffrey and then a group of six I would say right now so I'm doing the rankings as we go so I have McCaffrey at one I have Cook at two that's just one and two. And then I have this next, and this is just running backs. We haven't talked about Kelsey or the receivers yet. But Zeke, Barkley, Henry, Kamara, and Jonathan Taylor, I have as the next five running backs up on that list. I think that Taylor deserves to be in the conversation with these guys. But do you think that there are any other running backs to put into this mix? Like Mixon. Does Mixon deserve to be there? Not that you have to draft no. him there because his ADP is going to be significantly lower. But why are we all off Joe Mixon? Because I would even put him behind Jonathan Taylor. I think it really comes down to the touchdowns with him, which has seemingly been an issue. And I know that we could get excited for what Joe Burrow could do, but at the same time, we don't know if no, Joe Burrow is going to be ready for week one. And this is an offense, too, that is going to have to do a lot because the defense is still going to suck. It's not going to get that much better in just one offseason. And I think Joe Mixon would be like, if we're going to push Taylor into the conversation, there's no way I'm bringing Mixon with him. The only name I would bring with him is the one so our way too more early mock draft i was on the turn kelsey was already gone it was at 12 and i put this guy in the first round just because i wanted to put respect on his damn name Cam and then i took taylor with the next pick no and then i took by the way this was middle december i took jonathan taylor at the turn which he essentially should have been in the first round he's not going to make it to the turn at this point this was before even those final three games so that's why but i put james robinson in the first round because i think james robinson is just like Jonathan Taylor is going to be an explosive offense is a true bell cow because he's involved in the passing game. He doesn't come off the field. Like he's got more passing upside than Jonathan Taylor does or receiving upside would be the better word to say. But I think that James Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, if we're pulling two names into this group, those would be the two. Okay. 
I can get behind that. How do you think Lawrence... So this one works one of two ways with Taylor and with James Robinson. Do we think that, presuming the Jags take Trevor Lawrence, that he's going to not necessarily be like a checkdown king, but will his rushing affect James Robinson? Do we run into effect like we do with Devin Singletary, where Lawrence rushes for touchdowns instead of James Robinson, which could hurt his fantasy upside? And with Jonathan Taylor, with no more Phillip Rivers, who's the dump-off king, that maybe his he sees a bit of regression in the receiving game, or that means we see more Taylor and less Naheem Hines. No, I think that with the, the James Robinson situation, I think Trevor Lawrence is just a good thing for him. I mean, look, I'm pulling, pull up his numbers right now, ETN, in his three Get seasons with Clemson. <laughs> he got 24 rushing touchdowns in 2018. So let's even throw that one out. Let's even say, ah, it's just anomaly. 20, 19 rushing touchdowns, 14 rushing touchdowns, and then you have... 37 and 48 receptions for four and two receiving touchdowns. He's going to be involved That's because James Robinson. And I think James Robinson's a more complete back than at chin. Who's more like Clyde over to Lair. I think in that facet where I don't, I don't want to see him getting 20 plus touches every single week, just because I have legitimate concern. Like, does he, I, I Alvin Camaro would be a better com- comparison possibly for him. But I say that Travis, Tra- Trevor Lawrence is going to make, that offense great, including James Robinson. So no, I'm not concerned about that. And for Jonathan Taylor, we saw Naeem Hines. I think what we just saw is that Jonathan Taylor should have been used more in the passing game. But I'm gonna, and this isn't be like, oh, I had a moment podcast. But like when I had Brian McFadden on, we were talking about the rookies, and this was at the middle of the season. And we initially started the conversation by talking about Antonio Brown. I was like, hey, you used to play with him. What do you think? Blah blah. blah. And he called it to a T. He said, expect Antonio Brown to start to look like something in December. And what he drew as the comparison was saying, look, that it took Rob Gronkowski five or six weeks and look at all these rookies that are not just taking half the season, but potentially longer because no preseason matters. Like these players can complain about not wanting to do it. And we have all this argument about the preseason, but no preseason, especially for rookies, does matter for rookie running backs and picking up a playbook. So that's why seeing Jonathan Taylor, what he was able to do in the second half and down the stretch, I'm not concerned about losing too much in the passing game. Okay. Do we worry about a coaching change in Jacksonville changes their mindset and how they run their offense? Because a new quarterback comes in, that's one thing. If you have a coach who's been in place, the skill sets aren't incredibly different, then you can expect somewhat of a similar game plan. When you think of something like Jacksonville, new quarterback, new coaching staff, new offensive coordinator, that maybe they just try to run their offense differently. I'm trying to, I want to weigh some pros with cons here and how we're trying to develop these rankings. (laughs) There's no cons because Urban Meyer knows how to do it. And you're going to get the most out of Lawrence, the most out of Robinson, Chark, and it depends that it wouldn't even be those three, like those three, not even an inkling of a concern for me. It would be after that. Like, do they try to get more out of Conley again? Is it Keelan Cole? Do they have Colin Johnson with two L's step up? Is it maybe he the guy? So I think it's more of who are, who's the fourth guy. I think that's more than anything. The big three, and I'll call them that big three of the Jacksonville Jaguars that have zero concern with what they're putting together. Okay, so I want to stick with running backs just a little bit more. So I think that's a decent tier. Henry, Elliott, Berkeley, Kamara, Jonathan Taylor, James Robinson. I'll put them in some sort of order here in a second, depending on where they end up shaking down. I'm leaning Henry just because of the safety that goes along with him. I know what I'm getting, and I do value that, where I think that there are either health question marks, role question marks, can they do it again, consistency question marks with some of the other guys. So when we think about this next tier down, Uh, There's a bunch of running backs, like you mentioned. I think that Antonio Gibson, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, and 
David Montgomery? I don't like that at all. So I'm just going to have him buried down. But I think those four are worth mentioning. Then you have Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones. Who else do I got here? Nick Chubb, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, if he's going to still stick around. I think all of those guys are in that tier too. And depending on what San Francisco does with its backfield, maybe Raheem Mostard as well. Yeah. Did you mention Antonio Gibson? Yeah. He was the first name I mentioned, him okay. and Akers. Like, why, mm-hmm. if we see what shook down towards the end of the season for the Rams, why isn't Akers in that conversation with the Robinsons and Taylors? Because Sean McVay. And so for me, again, where our tiers are different a little bit, I'm also, I so far already have an additional tier to yours. I have a little bit of more of a separation. But in the Eckler, Chubb, Akers, Swift, uh, Montgomery maybe, but that's put him at the low end. But Gibson, all those names you just mentioned, and Dobbins, I do think Akers deserves to be there. My only concern with Akers of him being as a high-end RB2 and not quite an RB1 is because I don't trust Sean McVay, and I don't trust an offense led by Jared Goff to have consistency. And it's more so it's like Daryl Henderson missed a lot of time, and I'm not trying to be a Daryl Henderson mark here and continue to pound the table for him. It's just what we've seen from McVay unless he's down to one and a half options. And I say half because Malcolm Brown wasn't even hundred percent down the stretch. It seems he always wants two guys involved no matter what. So if you told me acres was going to get that same usage that Jonathan Taylor was seeing, and he was seeing at the end of the season, acres was too low. Acres would deserve to be inside the top 10 conversation. I just don't know if we're going to get that from Sean McVay. So that's my only concern with him. It could definitely be too low, but I, this was the group I was talking about. This is the group I'm talking about, like Aaron Jones, if he gets the hell away from the Packers and ends up on a team that wants to give him 20 touches every single week and some consistency, you could say him, you could say Gibson, Swift, Sanders, all these names that you just said. This is a giant group of about eight or nine running backs where maybe next year your strategy about tight end, your strategy next year is tight end, running back, running back, tight end, first round, maybe even wide receiver, but skip the third maybe even fourth round of running backs and just take like that back, that back end of this group of maybe Miles Sanders and Joe Mixon in the late fourth, fifth round. So you wouldn't elevate acres into that tier that I just had. Would you elevate Gibson up there? Cause again, I'm trying to mine the 20 touches receiving game goal line work. It seems like Gibson can do that. We talked about Swift, but we don't love that offense. So maybe he's like the, the homeless man's version of that type of player. Montgomery <laughs> would be that guy, but Cohen is coming back and he put up his stat. I mean, we talked about David Montgomery on this show as a trade target in week eight. Be like, look at this schedule to end the year. Like, you want to have David right. Montgomery on your team. So when he doesn't have the world's easiest schedule, what does he look like? That's not to take anything away from David Montgomery. It just makes me a little bit pensive. And then you get some of the guys from last year. Like, if Joe Mixon comes back healthy, can he be that guy? We saw an increased usage of Nick Chubb in the receiving game, like the final three weeks of the season. Is that something that can carry over? Is the Miles Sanders that we saw towards the end of the year not knowing their quarterback situation or realistically what the new head coach is going to do with that offense? And what about Austin Eckler? Austin Eckler was great when he played without Anthony yeah. Lynn around. Is he someone who could actually be in that second tier of running back like we want him to be if they just unleash him and say, you know what? You're going to manufacture your 20 touches a game. It might be 13 carries and seven catches. It could be some combination of those, but you're going to be on the field a lot, Sir Austin, uh, and you're going to be touching <laughs> the ball. If that's the case, he's going to be great. Oh, and I'm an Austin Eckler guy. I have him at 10 in my rankings, mostly because he was 14th and fancy points per game. And that includes 
Chris Carson was just barely in front of him because one of those games also includes a game where Eckler got hurt in the game. So I'd take him over Chris Carson. Josh Jacobs is just in front of him barely. And I would take him over Josh Jacobs. Miles Gaskin is in front of him, which I would take over Miles Gaskin. So now you've put him all the way up at RB 10 just by that in points per game and the guys I would still take behind him. So I am an Austin Eckler fan. I, I, I think that really comes down to is what is your preference here? Cause it's going to be, the reason I said wait for the back end of this group is unless you have a strong inclination, unless you're like, you're sitting here and you're like, no, Cam Akers is going to be the guy and I'm buying it. Well, then fine. If you want to take them, then go right ahead. But if you don't have a strong feeling and we don't have 100% clarity because Miles Sanders' offense is changing, DeAndre Swift's offense is changing, as you mentioned with Dave Montgomery, Tariq Cohen's coming back. What is Joe Mixon? Antonio Gibson, who's his quarterback next year? Do they add Corey Davis and free like to get some receiving options there. Like what does that team look like? There's a lot of questions in here where I think there's an argument to be made for a lot. The one that I thought was very interesting was the Nick Chubb one, because as you mentioned, he had started to get what we had been clamoring for, for some time is that he can be used in the passing game and Kareem Hunt kind of fell to the wayside. If Nick Chubb is going to see that kind of work, maybe Nick Chubb is the one that also deserves to be in that first group. Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb. Taylor. James Robinson or Nick Chubb? James. James Robinson. I think that's a sticking point for me. I might go Chubb there, but that I, I think that's a good enough case to put Chubb onto that tier with those guys. That it makes me think enough that if it was my pick right now, those were my two best players on the board and I was taking a running back, who would I pick? I don't know. I'd have to really think about that. I have to do a more deep dive on research. So I think that keeps them yep. close, at least in terms of tier, that that's an actual decision. Like if it was Nick Chubb or Cam Akers, I would take Nick Chubb. If it was Eckler or Nick Chubb, I'd take Nick Chubb. If it was Gibson or Nick Chubb, I'd take Nick Chubb. So I feel <laughs> like I can definitively say that over those three guys, that elevates him above them. Yeah, weeks 12 through the rest of the season, his low game was 13.6. And then everything after that, 15, 17, 17, and then multiple 20-point games. So that usage in the second half of this, or late in the season was significantly, I mean, we're talking only two games. Yeah, two games without two receptions. So he's, he's getting that work finally. So that leaves Henry, Elliott, Barkley, Kamara, Taylor, Robinson, Chubb in the tier two of running backs after McCaffrey and Cook. And that isolates Akers, Eckler, and Gibson as a part of this tier three at running back with names that we could potentially add from this next tier down. Swift, Edwards, Alaire, Jacobs, Mixon, Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake. And I'm going to throw Miles Gaskin into this mix along with Mostert as well. Gaskin was really good fantasy-wise. I don't know oh, whether or not he keeps the role, but it looked pretty good. That's the concern. Yeah. And I think that's the concern too. So funny enough in my rankings, I have Gaskin, Dylan, Ronald Jones and Mostert all in kind of a group of guys and Drake too, in this group where they're not back to back to back, but they're in this group of like right now, they could all be too low depending on what their scenario is. You know, if Aaron Jones is gone and the Packers don't add a significant option because I think Jamal Williams is gone too. A.J. Dillon could rock it up inside the top 20, even potentially the top 15. Mostert, if he's the guy again, he's up there. The, I think everybody expects the Dolphins to draft the running back, and that's why, and even I do. And you know I like Miles Gaskin, but as of right now, where I have him in the 20s, if they don't, if they push it off for one more year and say, look, let's get another wide receiver, let's get some more pieces, we're close to contending, that's the last thing we need to add as a running back then Gaskin would sure be inside the top 20. Yeah, the Packers situation is just, it's, I think, too difficult to assess at this point because 
I can't envision a world where Aaron Jones is back now, especially how it ended. <laughs> With the fumbles? Yeah. The, so, fumble, well, the fumble then getting hurt, but you spent all this draft capital on A.J. Dillon this year anyway. You're going to be pressed up against the cap as it is. The cap might go down. It's a lot of money to keep Aaron Jones. Like, if you got him for nothing, that would be great, but you're not. Someone's going to overpay right. Aaron Jones in this situation. Like, maybe, you know, who the hell is the Texans running back? Oh, yeah, David Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do with him? Exactly what your feeling is as you're saying it. Yeah, Meh. but it's funny because I used him on DraftKings a bunch towards the end of the year. And he was actually pretty good before he got hurt. Yeah, but that was also because Duke Johnson was out for most of those games. This is true. So it was, it was just him. It, it's funny, like looking at Josh Jacobs, like I can't, unless he's a discount in drafts, I can't envision having Josh Jacobs on my team. Like I'd rather just have Chris Carson, who I know is going to go like two rounds after him because they're basically the same guy. Mm, I'm still taking Jacobs. I, 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 I would have Jacobs over Carson, but just looking back at their past two years, they've essentially been the same player. Jacobs has been a little bit healthier, but even looking back at last season, half point PPR, Josh Jacobs, 14.3 points per game. Chris Carson, 14.1 points per game. They were almost exactly the same the year before too. They're just, Carson can do a little bit in the receiving game, which does prop up his floor a little bit, but you can never really trust what's going on in Seattle. It does seem like after week one last year, remember the people victory lapping? Oh my God, Josh, Josh Jacobs, Jacobs, seven targets a game. He's going to score three touchdowns a game, 30 touches a game. Yeah, how did that work out? You don't get to play Carolina's defense every single week. And then all of a sudden he's non-existent no. in the passing game and he's going to have his good weeks because he has that multiple touchdown upside because of all the goal line work. But he's not Derrick Henry in terms of consistency either. Like, he is the poor man's Derrick Henry based on the way that he's used in this receiving game. Yeah, and even so, from weeks 10 through 15, four receptions, one, three, three, three. So he was getting the receptions. The difference is, unlike most running backs who get those receptions, you're looking at an average of eight, nine, ten yards per reception. A lot of these games, he's averaging five, six, three. So I think that's part of the problem, too, is that even when he's getting the work, it's not amazing. Like I'm looking at 5.7, 4.0, 3 for 12, 3 for 14, 3 for 25. That's decent. But 4 for 24, a lot of it is he just doesn't even do a hell of a lot when he is getting the receptions. So I understand your point in the fact that it's it's kind of my argument for, like, Travis Kelsey. Like, completely different players. But if I can get Kittle at a round discount on Kettle, or K Kelsey, then, yeah, if you can get the round potentially two discount for Josh Jacobs to a lot of people. I mean, not just Chris Carson. I mean, you can get a round or two discount probably on a few guys here. Like, Joe Mixon will probably go around Chris Carson and not Josh Jacobs. I'd rather, have, rather, I, I'd, I'd rather have Joe Mixon objectively over Josh Jacobs. And I think I think that's what you'll see for now. I think you might even see a discount from Antonio Gibson from Josh Jacobs because Josh Jacobs, people are still treat as that RB one. And they, they should, these he, guys, he, he I is think a, gonna be. He is a fringe RB one. Maybe he's going to end up a lot like Frank Gore because he continues to play all these games. He's going to pile up a lot of counting stats. But when you actually compare him on a per game basis to all of the other running backs, he's more like running back 14. But when you look at his overall numbers at the end of the season, he's going to be like running back seven a lot of the time because he'll just end right. up playing 16 games. Yeah, I'm looking right now. He's RB12 in points per game. And where, what did you say he finished it in total? Oh, he I, I know. I, I'm just throwing RB8. out a, a hypothetical examples. Like he's going to be one of those guys because he puts up so many counting numbers. He scores touchdowns. But 
realistically, you were better off with Miles Gaskin on a per game basis last year than you were with Josh Jacobs. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's why I was saying that because you're you're right. He was RB eight overall, but RB thirteen in points per game. So yeah. So- yeah, and I mean, if it's a standard league, obviously there are very few outliers like this anymore. We're between like standard half point and full point PPR. And the more you go across the spectrum, the more that impacts Josh Jacobs. So I probably you know, a late second round pick. Maybe he just seems like a guy I'm not going to own. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, he's one of the few. Nick Chubb, unless they start to use him like the second half of the season, would be one of those ones affected by it. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anybody. Yeah, else but that's Nick, really Nick Chubb. I, I would I would say that Nick Chubb is close based on his skill profile and his big play potential. I'd say he trends closer to Derrick Henry than he does Josh Jacobs in terms of someone that's sort of for no. But agnostic. even Derrick Henry has a hit in PPR. He has a hit in but PPR, was, but he's saying, still good in PPR. Right. right. Uh, yeah, but that was my point: is that there's still a hit. Like there's very. It, it was more of do you what you're talking about is that. You've brought this up many times, even when you did full PPR and not half PPR, that there's very few players, even receivers in general, that from scoring position to scoring position format um, really have that big of a difference. Like Theo Riddick was the quintessential proof of how much of a boost you can get going from one to the other. Yeah, like James White would be a good example. Like unless you're a complete yeah. outlier, I would say that someone like Eckler really does get a bump based on the way that he scores his points. And even Camara does. Yeah, Camara and McCaffrey are just. Well, I mean, McCaffrey's the best in all types of scoring, but he's even better in PPR. <laughs> <laughs> he was interesting. Or Naeem Hines. There's another one. McKissick. Yeah. McKissick finished as a top 25 running back. McKissick's my guy, man. Love McKissick. You just love those kind of guys. I do. Because I, well, they're always undervalued. That's why. You can get them for free, always. And wow. when you pencil them into your lineup as a, like if you go with one of these drafts where you load up on receivers or tight ends and don't take running backs, like McKissick as your running back two this year in the second half of the season was fine. <laughs> he was. I was about to, do you know, do you know off the top of your head how many targets he had? This year, I'm going to say, yeah. I don't know, 75. 110. Holy shit, really? He had three more than Kamara, led the league. And Kamara was 30 more than Naeem Hines. They were number one and two. He had 110 targets this year. Well, there's value there. <laughs> uh, let's go to receivers very quickly. Um, I don't want to belabor the point too much. We'll have plenty of time to talk about everything. I think hammering down running backs, at least for today, is, is pretty good and try to get the tiers out of the way. Is there anyone on Devontae Adams' tier? Is Tyreek Hill on his tier? No, because Tyreek Hill doesn't have Adams' consistency. I mean, Tyreek Hill is pretty damn consistent. No, but he's got to look. The difference is, is if you go to it, like, so Devontae Adams, what, had one? Let me pull him up. Devontae Adams, did he even have a single-digit game? He did. Wow, he actually had two. I forgot about that. Right before. So Tyreek Hill, so I'm looking at Adams. Adams 15. See, I think that's the difference. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Adams has 15-plus in almost every single game. Tyreek Hill has a couple single digits in the same thing. So, all right, okay, maybe not. Maybe maybe Tyreek Hill and Adams deserve to be on the same group, looking at it. Yeah, it, it's funny because I the, the reason that I posed that question really included Tyreek Hill because I was actually looking at his numbers last night. And we have this perception around Tyreek Hill is that he's a boomer bust type player, but that right. just isn't the case. He's a boom player. And I agree. And I would have never called him boomer bust. I just felt like he had more. You felt low... like, he, he, I think the perception is that he's a bit Deshaun Jacksony. 
that he's going to follow up that he's going to follow up a 250 think. yard type game with a 70 yard game and not be your 130 yard touchdown game. Yeah, but I feel like that is actually kind of bared itself out over the years that he's going to let you down five times a year, like really badly. Right. Right, and that's what I was thinking. It's like I feel like Amari Cooper with Dak where he was only letting you down three or four, maybe five times where before Dak he was letting you down half the season. And that's why I, that's why I hesitated to say Deshaun Jackson because Deshaun Jackson was about half the season. So yes, in any case, I didn't realize the game-to-game consistency was as good as it was. So, yeah, I think Adams and Hill, and to be honest, if Drew Brees was returning and not retiring, I would have given Michael Thomas one more chance because he just wasn't healthy this almost the entire year. But not knowing – honestly, Jameis Winston's the quarterback. Michael Thomas could get right back on this tier. I agree. I don't know. I, I think that it's Adams and then Hill. You could go Hill Adams if you wanted to. And I actually think that wide receiver three is Diggs. I have this. I have Diggs as wide receiver three. I actually have Michael Thomas as six. See, I, I, it wouldn't I, shock I, me. But I think that is sort of the tier. Like those top three guys, Adams, Hill, and Diggs, I think are the tier. I mean, if you wanted to make the case that Diggs is the wide receiver one, I mean, you can point to stats and argue that as much as you want. The problem is when we look at who finished at the top this year, let's just go look at it, fantasy points per game. They're, they're one, two, and three. So that's, I mean, do you just want to go by last year's leaderboard and project it out? Probably not because that's not how it turns out. Adams was wide receiver two off the board. Hill was wide receiver number five or six off the board, I think. And then Diggs was like 24 or something like that. So he made a giant leap. The rest of the top 10 points per game, Adams, Hill, Diggs, Ridley, A.J. Brown, Will Fuller, Adam Thielen, DeAndre Hopkins, Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, Keenan Allen, Tyler Lockett, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson's a free agent, so we don't know where he's going to end up going. But he's not going anywhere. But if we look at the overall ADP by wide receivers last year, we locate. Come on, load up for me here. All right, thanks. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thomas Adams, Hill, Julio, Hopkins, Godwin, Galladay, Evans, Thielen, Beckham at number 10, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, Juju, Allen Robinson, A.J. Brown. So it wasn't actually all that far off, to tell you the truth. There was a couple of no, guys who got hurt wasn't. and were complete busts, but everyone kind of finished up where they should be. The biggest outlier is Diggs, and that was just such a question about Josh Allen, and you and I, I believe, had him a lot higher rank than that. And yeah, yeah so maybe... I mean, you shouldn't just copy-paste rankings from last year or look at the scoring from last year, but it seemed like the industry was pretty sharp on wide receivers as a whole. And I think it's going to be very similar for next year. I mean, a lot of those names you were mentioning, you know, I don't even look at that in points per game, but the, actually the, your first five, not to give away the, what is it, the give away the goose or whatever the saying is, but that, that top five was my top five, and I wasn't even doing that intentionally on points per game, but my top five was... There is Adams, Hill, Diggs, Ridley, A.J. Brown. Uh, I put Michael Thomas there. The one, and he's not inside the top 10, but the one that I wanted to bring up because of a points per game situation, Deontay Johnson's healthy games. He got hurt in one. He played through an injury and then hurt a different body part, his back, another one, and then played and got hurt early in the game against the Ravens. Or was that the game that he came back? Whatever it is, three hurt games. If you take those out, and I don't want to take them out, but again, he didn't even play full games in any of those. If you take those three out, he was wide receiver five in fantasy points per game with all the drops, with all the, oh, my God, he can't catch anything. So 
I'm on Deontay Johnson for next year as somebody who could be the one that cracks the top 10 where everybody's always looking. Who's the wide receiver that gets into the top 10 that we didn't really have there in the preseason? Similar to Stefan Diggs. Also because do the Steelers even bring back Juju Smith-Schuster with his giant contract? Because the Steelers could easily say, let's just go Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Look at what Chase already did as a rookie. Those are our big two. And if that's the case, I mean, Chase Claypool is going to be inside probably my top 20 and Deontay Johnson will be pushing wide receiver one status for me. Do we think that Ben is coming back? Because if Ben's not there, then it's a completely different story, I feel. I, I agree with you, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, there's ways where what they did and maneuvered with their coaches, some ties to still keep Ben there. But the recent hire makes you wonder if they're going to change the offense. And at this point, does he want to go through a whole new offensive change and scheme overhaul at this point? It's certainly a question worth having. But I would also look to the Steelers and say, I don't think even if he retires, they're going to go into next year and say, yeah, Mason Rudolph's our guy. I, I can see them being one of the teams that makes a trade for somebody like Stafford. Oh, that's a really interesting fit, actually. What about the Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore type players? I mean, McLaurin <laughs> was still top 17 this year, and he couldn't have had a worse year at quarterback based on his skill set or the schedule that he ended <laughs> up having, and he was still good. He was, and I have Terry McLaurin in a group. I think that that group feels like the Terry McLaurin, the Galladay's, uh, even Julio Jones at this point, just because this version, I know Julio was better in points per game, but at this point where everybody used to complain about, oh, Julio Jones just always gets hurt. He always feels nicked up. Similar to Matthew Stafford. They always play a ton of games. They just always seem to be dealing with something. Now Julio Jones is starting to regularly miss time. So I don't think Julio Jones is quite in that group. So like the Thielen feels like he's in that same conversation with Terry McLaurin. Uh, that that's kind of all these kind of guys, even Mike Evans, not knowing what's going on with Chris Godwin, Chris Godwin's back with the Buccaneers and Antonio Brown's back because Tom Brady's back and he's not going to let Antonio Brown leave. You know, you have all those three again. And so maybe Mike Evans should be the number one. So a lot of these wide receivers in these teens are going to have a situation that we have to see play out. And DeAndre Hopkins is probably in there too. I was down on Hopkins coming into the year. I think I had him at number eight at wide receiver. And all of my fears about the inconsistency that could develop in that offense kind of came the last six weeks of the season where he had like two really big games and then four games that were like, Ugh, this is not what I want out of my wide receiver one. And I think like eight to 10 is probably where you should have him. I know he looks so good at the beginning of the year and he's going to have these weeks where it's like, how could you not have him number one at receiver? <laughs> but this offense is so spread out from week to week and it does concentrate around him. But unlike all of the other like top tier receivers that we talk about, he has games where they just decide not to go his way and it's really confusing. And it's really frustrating. Yeah, I would put him in the next group. He wouldn't be in that tier with the A.J. Brown and Calvin Ridley, even if you extended that tier to talk about more players. Uh, would you put, because I wouldn't, I would still take him over Metcalf just because Metcalf went ghost almost the entire second half because they stopped letting Russell Wilson cook. And the, their, their talk about bringing in Gase, they're talking general about going into next season to Pete Carroll about, I, are we going to see the second half Seahawks again for the entire 2021 season? The problem is, is if you, unless you unleash Russell Wilson, like you saw in the first half, which just seems baffling why they don't Metcalf is going to be tough to even have inside the top 10. I mean, look at us, look at that second half. It's awful. Look, 12. Well, actually, no, start. That's wow. That's even second half is starting with three, 3.8, 12, 22, 10, 15, six, eight, four. Like that's just, 
I'm taking Hopkins. I'm taking Justin Jefferson. I'm taking Allen Robinson. I do think Allen Robinson's back. I don't think the Bears are going to let him go because they can franchise him and the Bears aren't going to look and say, oh, we're fine with Anthony Miller and Darnell Mooney. So I think that Metcalf deserves to be in like the Keenan Allens of the world, like that kind of group more than up near the Hopkins tier. I think Hopkins is just on that tier. Like, I think Adam Thielen's a part of that the, tier. Justin Jefferson, Michael they, Thomas. They're all in the same tier? Yeah, I think I so. I mean, we can, I can work to separate them a little bit later on, but I think that, like, even Keenan Allen, maybe he's a bit above that with A.J. Brown. I'm not sure. I'd really have to kind of press myself with that one. But I think that there's potential so much upside with a lot of those type of guys, all these volume. You either have the consistent volume type guys or just the high-scoring type wide receivers uh, in terms of right. touchdowns, like Metcalf. And Adam Thielen's one of those guys. I would feel like Justin Jefferson is the safer option for receptions and yardage. But Thielen, they love oh, using in the red zone. They do. But he's also getting up there in age a little bit, too. What is Adam Thielen now, 32, 3? He doesn't, he doesn't have all the miles on him like a lot of these guys who are 30. He doesn't have Julio yeah, That's true, too. That is true, but he also hasn't played 16 games in three years or two years. I mean, you're going to be hard, now, you're going to be hard pressed be to find anyone who's played 16 games each of the past three years. <laughs> no, that's that's a fair argument. I'm just agreeing with the fact that he's in this tier and not this, despite the fact he finished top 10. We're not putting him in that tier up near the top, is what I'm saying. Is there any breakthrough guy like we don't? We haven't talked about a single Cowboys receiver, but assuming Dak is back, like you could make a case for all three Cooper. of them inside the top 25. I think Cooper deserves to be there. I, you know, I don't like Amari Cooper, but when Dak's been healthy, Amari Cooper has been almost a, a wide receiver one, even with his off game. Like, what's the difference between a, a healthy Dak? What's the difference between Cooper and Allen Robinson or DK Metcalf? There's not really any difference there. For a breakthrough, I'm going to put it on my guy is Chark Nado out there. Dude, DJ Chark, Trevor Lawrence, all day long, because Chark, one of the best at ARs per reception. Trevor Lawrence, one of the best at ERs per completion. And he's going to come in, and I think Chark is – Chark could be another that I could see slip inside to, the, to finally to get that wide receiver one status, which he wasn't that far off from getting as a player if it was for anything happening at that quarter. You want to talk about Terry McLaurin, miserable quarterback position. DJ Chark definitely had that in spades. I'm trying to think of the other guys. Higgins and Boyd, presumably without A.J. Green and Joe Burrow back. Will Fuller on a points-per-game basis was so good, but we don't know where Watson's going to be. If Watson goes to the Jets, do you look at Crowder? Do you look at Mims? What about the San Francisco guys? Both were injured all season long and had no quarterback. Let's say they stick with Jimmy G or they get Matt Ryan or whatever happens in San Francisco and Debo and Ayuk are both healthy. Like Those sound like pretty capable options. Yeah. And I would take Ayuk. I think Ayuk is going to be inside the top 15 or top 15, top 25 next year, because what I said about Ayuk coming out of college is I thought the draft capital for what they brought in for him was interesting because I thought he replicates a lot what Debo does. And, you know, as a Debo fan too, but the one thing that Ayuk I think does better than Debo is play outside better than Debo does. So if you told me who's going to be the number one, well, essentially the number two, because Kittle is the number one, I think Ayuk, is going to be the number one wide receiver for the 49ers. So I would take Ayuk before I took Debo. Tight ends, is Kittle on the same tier as Kelsey? Yes, but if you want to say he's on a tier of his own, I I wouldn't complain about it. Like, it's almost... We talked about this on our podcast. It almost feels like Kelsey round one, Kittle round two, Darren Waller round three. That's what it kind of feels like. 
I mean, I could see that, but if Kittle's healthy, he is just as good as if Kittle's healthy, he's just as good as Kelsey. I think maybe a no, little, he's as a good little, as Kelsey, 2019. Sure, which would be the 11th overall pick or something. I think that you can make a case for Kittle being healthy would be a fringe first round pick. No, 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 because in 2019 he averaged 13.9 and Kelsey was 14. That would put you at wide receiver 12 and 13. Yes, but again, so that's pl- why. You're, but you're playing them at tight end, which it doesn't matter where they finish at wide receiver. What's the difference between them? And that was a year where Andrews and Waller were both good, which right. probably isn't going to replicate itself. You rarely see that many. No, high- we're saying Go ahead. we're saying two different things. I'm saying so. I I agree he's on the tier if Kelsey takes a step back. I like where we diff- like we differ at the tight end the debate of whether or not you want to construct your team. I'm agreeing on the fact that like. Kelsey's down year was 2019, 2018 and 2020 were significantly better. We're talking about 18, 19, 20 points per game. So at Kelsey's best, he's a clear tier of his own at Kelsey's worst. He's on the tier with Kittle. That's what I'm saying. So that's why I think they're almost separated. Sure. I I would guess that all things being equal, that Travis Kelsey doesn't set the receiving record for a tight end again and maybe regresses just a little bit, even if it's 7% of his overall numbers, which would still make him tight end number one. It's just it would put him on a tier closer to Kittle. I think it's more the case that Kittle, I could end up seeing being the better pick because he'll be just more undervalued than Kelsey will. Right. And they probably shouldn't. They're probably a lot closer together than maybe people will have them ranked or draft them. That's uh, that's that's where I'm getting at it with it. So all right, so let's build. Would a, you say I was gonna say let's Waller build. and Andrews are the next group. I'd say it's probably just Waller, and that's it. It's probably just Waller, and I might even go Hawk. And I guess without Stafford, it's hard to tell. But like, I don't so like Hark Andrews. He drops far too many passes, and it makes me mad. <laughs> I think that's part of why. Like, I think you're gonna get value from Andrews last, but next year from what happened this past season, because if you look at it too, leaks eleven. Through 16, he came back around. It was 18, 10, 15, 10, and double digits of four straight. He's, it's, I think he's the victim of the Deontay Johnson. And similar to like Eric Ebron, like he drops to, and never catches the ball. It's, that's the perception. But when you talk about it, look at, the, look at the game inconsistency between Waller and Andrews and tell me where the difference is. Like if I gave you no name and just showed you the box scores of both, you would think they're the same player. Maybe. Uh, I think that Waller is more on a tier of his own, um, and he's closer to the Andrews tier than the Kelsey and Kittle tier. But I would because have Andrews. Games. What's that? Sorry? Because he gets the 20 point games. Yeah, he has that higher upside. And even in towards the second half of the season, like there's a credible case to be made that both of these guys are potentially the number ones on their team, almost like Kittle is uh, in their respective offenses. But with Waller, and this is if Derek Carr continues to be their quarterback, that he just runs the proper routes for Derek Carr. And just on a week-to-week like floor basis in terms of receptions and yardage, I would elevate that a little bit higher. I think that Andrews probably ends up scoring more touchdowns, which keeps him kind of close. But Waller is more of the player that I prefer because if he does score, he goes absolutely off in those circumstances where you rarely see like the seven for 70, no touchdown games from Andrews. It's either a big game or it's like four for 24. And hopefully he ends up scoring two (laughs) touchdowns in those games to get you by. I would think that Andrews is closer to like Hawkinson and Tunyon and to a lesser extent Goddard and Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas is sort of like the, the homeless man's Waller. I'm actually worried about Logan Thomas next year. I do have him inside my top 10, but 
there's one is again, we don't know the quarterback situation. And then I, I wonder if we're going to get a little bit of the Higby effect of that nice run, but what is the over a full season and what is this team going to look like next year where I'm a little hesitant on Logan Thomas going back to back. That's fair. Uh, like Hunter Henry will probably go after Logan Thomas in drafts. I would take a credible roll of the dice in the 10th round on Hunter Henry and just hope that this new offense figures. Well, we don't, out. I, I, we I don't assume he'll be back. Hunter Henry might be. I, I, I think, I think he'll, he'll be back. Be back. I'm trying to think you got Blake Jarwin coming back from injury too. Oh yeah. I totally forgot about him and we'll have, uh, Oh my God. What's his name? I guess it doesn't really CJ CJ secret of the Uzma probably doesn't really care. <laughs> now they might even address that position, but there's a lot, you know, in this group that I was doing and looking at it too. You have the second year from Komet. You have Irv Smith finally with no Kyle Rudolph. Fant. Uh, I have fan a lot higher. I think that you finally get some clarity with Sutton being able to balance that offense now and get some attention away from fan. Like you saw at the beginning of the season, Ingram. if there's no Kari Davis, I was gonna say, I hate John because you can never get a third receiving option in that game. But if they don't bring Corey Davis, which I don't expect them to, because I think Corey Davis is going to get overpaid by some team. I think somebody's going to give him like four years, 70 or five years, 85 or something like that. They're not bringing him back. And now if you're down to A.J. Brown and Jono Smith, Jono could have the season everybody wanted him to have this year. Maybe. I mean, Gesicki, I still think, is the most talented option in Miami. They just have far yes. too many tight ends to figure it out. But week to week, you never know who it's <laughs> going to be. They want to use all of them. All right, so let me try to create a top 10 here. And top 12, so a first round in a fantasy draft. McCaffrey and then Cook. And here comes the conundrum. Do we go more running backs do we put in that receiving tier or does kelsey get included in that receiving tier too like is it mccaffrey cook adams hill kelsey Diggs, and then the running backs you know for me let let me ask you who would you rather have on your team just objectively next year you get to start one of these guys in any game regardless of matchup Devontae adams or derrick henry i'm still gonna take henry I think I'd rather have Adams. But see, this is where I could, I agree that this is the conversation already starts at number three. Because, like, if you want to go, hell, again, you know I'm not doing it just because now you're waiting so long into the second round. But you could say, which would you rather have, the leg up of Kelsey or any of these? And I think you will see some people take Kelsey as early as number three. In my head, I'm kind of thinking five running backs Adams, Kelsey, like if it was mine, I would probably go running back one through five, Adams at six, Kelsey at seven, maybe even come back with two more wide receivers right after that before I got back to the running backs. Actually, I think I would and do Hill and Diggs, and then come back and talk about Jonathan Taylor. But if you want to, if you want to jump in at number three, I'm not going to say you're crazy to do so. So the top seven I have right now, McCaffrey Cook, Adams, Kelsey, Hill, Henry, Stefan Diggs. That's going to be my top seven for January 2021. And then I have to figure out what running backs to go after, because I want to include Kittle somewhere around here as well, but not above these running backs. That would leave like Elliott, Barkley, Kamara, Taylor, Robinson, and Chubb as this tier of running back to kind of get into. Do you have a, like, is it Kamara for you as being the guy amongst that bunch, or would you go back to Barkley? I'm going back to Barkley. I still think I still look at the fact that Barkley and I know now it's a long time removed because of the injuries, but the year before 
to go back that much is Barkley was averaging more than Camara was on a or not Camara, uh, Christian McCaffrey was on a points per game. He just missed some time. He still has the, and the, why I say that I'm not taking Barkley as in the same tier as Cook and McCaffrey because of the injuries. But if you told me the running backs of Henry, Camara, Zeke, Taylor, like who's the one that could challenge for number one? If Barkley is a hundred percent, which is a huge, a huge thing to ask for. I understand, but who has that talent? It's Saquon Barkley. Even the first game last year did nothing in the running game against the Steelers was miserable. Six for 60 receiving six for 60. Daniel Jones played like crap in that game. The entire offense played like crap, but who has that ability? It's Barkley. So I'm going Barkley, and I know people don't like it. I've already got a lot of people yell at me for having him number three as my running back. And not just number three at running backs, not number three overall, but number three of my running backs. But I'm going Barkley. If you want to go Kamara Henry, go right ahead. I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm going Barkley. Okay, so I think I've got to figure it out. And then the next receiving tier will probably drop in after these running backs. Or maybe I'll even get tricky and insert some of them in here one by one. But I feel like that's a very clustered group, the second tier of wide receivers that kind of pick your poison. Uh, whoever you like the best will be available to you in the second and third rounds more than likely. So Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Devontae Adams, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, one through five. This is, again, half-point PPR. Derrick Henry, Stephen Diggs, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, Jonathan Taylor, George Kittle, Nick Chubb, James Robinson. That's what I'm going with right now. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with that at all. Thank I you. think the only ones, the, the only wide receivers, I think you could throw Ridley and AJ Brown into that conversation. And I think Michael Thomas and but, Justin Jefferson. I that that's the whole reason that I wouldn't throw them in because I think that Brown, Thomas, Jefferson, even Allen Robinson, DeAndre mm-hmm. Hopkins, Metcalf, Allen, Ridley, they're all pick your poison type guys. And I think that after maybe above does James Robinson really deserve to be a part of this tier. I feel worse about him than I do about Chubb. <laughs> I feel James Robinson's probably closer to Cam Akers and Austin Eckler now that I think about it. Yeah. Well, you know how I feel. I mean, yeah, um, no, I, I know, Robinson but I'm, I'm just I'm reading it out loud thinking about how I would draft this. And that would mean I'd probably put Kittle after Chubb. And that would be the, the line of demarcation between the running backs. The one thing we didn't talk about either is you're going to have the narrative this offseason about Matt Ryan. If Matt Ryan's back with the Falcons, you're going to have the narrative about Matt Ryan doesn't do as well in this first season under a new coordinator that he does the second year. So you're going to have that with the pushback of the offense if Ryan's there with Ridley and Julio Jones too. Yeah, I'm not too concerned about that. No, I'm just throwing it out there for ones that might not want to take Ridley there. All right. All right. That's, that's, that's how I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about this. Uh, I'm sure this is going to change 500 times between now and next September, but there's a first round for you. There's the top 12. <laughs> One round. We got it done. <laughs> yeah. We only had to talk for an hour and 15 minutes to get this all worked out. Although I had that long half that was spent on like Travis Etienne and trying to pronounce his name properly. And me yeah, telling the people we out there long. about foyer versus foyer, which is right and which is stupid. Uh, and you know, <laughs> we're good to go. So again, there's a draw for a hundred bucks, two ways to get into it. Subscribe to the Mayo media network on YouTube. That's all you need to do. You subscribe and smash the like button while you're here too. That can, that can always help the show out, spread it around that gets you in a draw for a hundred us dollars. Also, if you subscribe to the Pat Mayo experience, audio podcast on Apple podcast, leave a five-star review, something you enjoy about this show twitter handle or instagram handle or email just so i can identify who you are if you are the winner and reach out to you uh you leave that five-star review up there along with that you'll be in a draw for a hundred dollars as well winners announced on monday's pat mayo experience jake how often are you going to update your football rankings 
<laughs> these are here until free agency. Uh, I will have dynasty. I will have NFL draft rankings. And then, so these are here until we get through free agency, then I'll update. And then I update them after the NFL draft. So these are here for a while. You can yell at me for weeks on end. Oh, excellent. So hit up the comment section on theathletic.com and make Jake feel bad about himself, about his rankings. That's what <laughs> comment sections are for. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter at ThePME. Check out all my work up on DKNation.com and over at FTNDaily.com for more in-depth analysis on the DraftKings side of things. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. You have your experience! Experience!